Uh, you see me fiddling with my phone before the sermon as we record these. For instances, just as that, so that um, you don't miss out on, on this sermon series as we preach through the books of the Bible. And this morning, I want to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And if you are a visitor this morning, I would encourage you, grab a, a pew Bible. It's the blue one from the rack in front of you. You're going to want to keep that open. Um, you'll quickly realize that I don't really have anything original to say this morning. All I have to tell you is what's been given to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. My job as a minister of the gospel is not for me to go back to my study during the week and find some you know, funny s- snippets from the news and some good jokes out of a joke book and to weave them together into some kind of message that helps you feel warm and fuzzy for a few minutes and then go home. Just think about it for a minute. This morning we've seen there are souls that are going to die today. Some of them may even be in this room. There are souls across this globe, people who are dying and going to an eternal hell. So how dare me or anyone else ascend this pulpit with the intention of telling some heartwarming stories and then sitting back down and not opening this and preaching this and holding forth the gospel which is able to save. And so I would encourage you, keep your Bible open. It's my job as a minister of the gospel to simply come up here and to do this, to open it and to explain it and to compel you to believe it. Even Paul entered this simple task of opening God's Word and explaining it and pressing it into the hearts and the ears of his hearers. He entered this task with great fear and trembling. He said in the passage last week, verse 5 of chapter 3, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent or sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul says, this ministry that I'm a part of is definitely not about the ministers. And the word that he uses there, minister, is the word table waiter. Paul says, I'm not the chef. I'm certainly not the main course. I am simply the guy who's not even worthy to carry the meal on the tray and present it to you. Who am I to even deserve or be sufficient in myself to somehow deliver this new covenant of mercy and grace through Jesus Christ to you? Paul writes to the first Corinthians in his first letter, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, guys carrying the platter, through whom you have believed as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. We're nothing. 
but only God who gives the growth. Paul says the ministers are nothing. The ministry is everything. The problem is, in Corinth, the problem with our own human nature is that we kind of like ministers who are something. You know? The guy who speaks eloquently, who can move crowds with his turn of phrase and his moving stories, who are well-spoken, who draw large crowds, who are popular. We like those kind of ministers. Ministers who are something. And ministers often like to think they are something too. It's this temptation that each of us deals with. And this morning, Paul is going to continue to work through what, what is his ministry? Who is he as a minister of the gospel? And he shows us that the great glory, because there is great glory to be found, but it does not belong to the ministers. It belongs to the ministry. The great glory belongs to the ministry. So if you've turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it's our great privilege this morning to open God's word and to hear from it. So let's stand together as we begin reading in verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which has been brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Let's pray. God, we pray that as we look upon the scriptures with unveiled faces, we would behold our Lord Jesus and that we would be transformed from one glory to the next. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to see three basic things this morning in this passage. Number one, Paul is going to show us the surpassing glory of this ministry. The surpassing glory of this ministry. And inevitably, the question is going to arise from the Corinthians, from Paul's opponents, that if this ministry that Paul is engaged in is so glorious, as he says, why is it then that people reject it? Which Paul then shows us 
The reason is the problem of the veil. Number two, the problem of the veil. And finally, for those who have turned to Jesus Christ, we see what becomes of those who do behold the glory of this ministry, who do behold Jesus Christ. Number three, we behold His glory and we are transformed. We behold His glory and we are transformed. So let's look at these three uh, parts of the passage this morning. Number one, the surpassing glory of this ministry. What Paul does here in verses 7 through 11 is he begins to contrast the ministry of the old covenant with the ministry of the new covenant. And uh, I don't want to assume that everyone in here knows what Paul's talking about when he's talking about these things. So let's just pause for a moment and understand that when he's talking about the old covenant, he's talking about the law of Moses. And he hints at that when he says the tablets of stone. Right? We all know what he's talking about there. The two tablets, the Ten Commandments. We read them earlier in the service. So Moses brings down the two stone tablets, the law of God, the old covenant, brings it down from Mount Sinai, and it was a legally binding document etched in stone that the Israelites were required to obey. So whatever God wrote with his own finger etched upon those stones, they as his people were required to obey. And if they did, good news. They would live and be blessed. But if they disobeyed it in even one portion or part, they would die. But Paul here is talking about a new covenant. That's what he said in verse 6, that I've been made a minister of a new covenant. Something has come along that has set aside the old covenant, written in stone tablets, It's a new relationship. It's not established through keeping the law, but through the person of Jesus Christ who is given to us simply by the mercy and grace of God. It's a new relationship, which we heard this morning from the table, is established through His own blood shed for us. It's a covenant that does not require submission to the law, but submission to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so we're talking about two ways of relating to the Lord. The old covenant and the ministry of that covenant. And the new covenant and the ministry of that covenant. And Paul here is going to use an argument. We've heard it from him before. He's going to argue from lesser to greater. And you heard it there in verses 7 through 11. He kept saying, how much more? How much more? And he does it three times in a row. He compares the ministry of death versus the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of condemnation versus the ministry of righteousness. The ministry that is passing away versus the ministry that abides forever. And he's saying, if this first ministry had glory, which it did, how much more then? Does this new ministry have glory? We see the first one in verse 7. Look at verse 7 and 8 with me. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not even gaze at Moses' face, 
because of its glory, which was bring, being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So he, he reminds us of, of the scene where Moses, he's been with God for 40 days, 40 nights. He comes down carrying a platter, and on that platter are two tablets of stone. And as he offered it to the Israelites, what they saw etched with the finger of God on those two stones are two words. Certain death. That's what was spelled out on that platter that Moses carried down as the the servant, the table waiter, the minister taking from God to the people. Here's what he served up to them. Certain death. We're talking about the Ten Commandments here. And Paul calls them the ministry of death. What happened to the generation of Israelites who received the Ten Commandments? Do you know? They marched around in the wilderness for 40 years. One year for every day that Moses spent up on Mount Sinai. And every year they marched, more and more Israelites were put to death because they disobeyed the law. Until they got to the end of those 40 years and every single Israelite who was alive when they received the Ten Commandments was dead. Moses led a death march in the wilderness. People were struck dead. They were bitten with snakes. They were swallowed by sinkholes. They were poisoned. They were burned with fire from heaven. Paul says it was a ministry of death. And yet he says we cannot deny that even this ministry of death came with great glory. When Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, the Bible tells us his face shone so brightly with the glory of God that the people held up their hands and covered their eyes and said, we can't look at you. you got to do something about this. And so Moses walked around with a veil covering his face. But Paul says, if the ministry of death had that much glory, how much more glory must the ministry of the Spirit have? Which gives life. Paul says, even the minister of the law who who carried on the platter certain death to the people, even he had glory radiating from his face from the ministry he was participating in. How much more the ministers of this new covenant who bring a platter and on that platter is offered the spirit of the living God. Yes, so glorious. The tablets were even written by the finger of God, but how much more glorious now that the finger of God etches upon our own hearts with His very Spirit. How much more glory, Paul says. What good are stone tablets, glorious as they may be, if all they do is put the people of God to death? No, Paul says, we have greater glory because the Spirit comes and writes upon dead hearts and gives them life. But now the let's, let's move on then from the ministry of death versus the ministry of the Spirit. We see in it the surpassing glory of this ministry. Let's move on now to the second uh, contrast that he says here, the ministry of condemnation 
versus the ministry of righteousness. Look at verse 9. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Well, what is the ministry of condemnation? What does condemnation even mean? Well, let me read to you some words from the minister of condemnation. Take this book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God that it may stand there as a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet, yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? You are not able to serve the Lord, for He's a holy God. And the people said, no, no, but we will serve the Lord. And He said, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. Those are the words of Moses and of his successor, Joshua. Those are words this morning of condemnation. You are witnesses against yourself. The law serves as a witness against you. You are not able to serve the Lord, Joshua says. You can't do it. That's what the law shows us. You can't keep it. Paul tells us, In Romans, that through works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No human being will be proved righteous before the throne of God, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's what the law does. It condemns us over and over and over again. And the minister of the law, his job is to remind the people over and over again just how condemned they are if God doesn't do something. And yet, Paul says, if this ministry of condemnation had glory, how much more must the ministry that somehow provides righteousness to sinners have? But now the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So the ministry of condemnation causes us to despair of ever earning righteousness under the law. And then righteousness appears outside of the law in the person of Jesus Christ. The ministry of righteousness Again, we picture Paul and he says, just as much as the ministers of the law brought, it was their job to serve up to you condemnation year after year after year. It is my job as a minister of the gospel to serve up to you the righteousness of God which you can't earn and you have to take hold of simply by faith in the person of Jesus. How much more glory is there in that ministry? Behold, the surpassing glory of this ministry. Our third and final comparison comes in verse 11. Look at it with me. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. He says the law, the ministry of the law, is passing away. The ministry of the new covenant of the gospel is forever The old covenant has worn out like an old garment. 
like old wineskins. The new covenant shall never spoil or fade. Paul will write later to the Second Corinthians, Behold, the old has passed away. The new has come. No longer does mankind relate to God through keeping the law. In Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself once and for all. Paul says, if this old covenant, which was never meant to last, which was only temporary and is now passing away, if it had glory, how much more glory must this eternal covenant, this new covenant in the blood of Jesus, that abides forever, how much more glory must it have? Verse 10 sums up the whole argument he's making here in this section. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has had come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. You know, here in the Bible Belt, we love to idolize the Ten Commandments. You know, we want the Ten Commandments as a statue in front of our courthouses and painted on the walls of the courthouses and hanging in our churches. And we love to tell people about the Ten Commandments. We want them stamped on the inside of every person's eyelids if we can. But brothers and sisters, our relationship to God does not hang on our ability to keep the Ten Commandments. And praise God that it doesn't. And if you think that somehow God is pleased with you because you've somehow convinced yourself that you have kept all ten of those commandments, you're just not looking hard enough. As glorious as the law is, Paul says the Ten Commandments are a ministry of death. Their purpose is to bring condemnation. And as, it, as far as it goes in relating to the Lord, it is a covenant that was meant for, to be temporary. It was never meant to be the way we relate to God forever. And it's not that the Ten Commandments and the law itself doesn't have any glory. Paul's argument hinges on the fact that we agree. Yes, the law has a lot of glory. But he says, that glory has been eclipsed. It's been surpassed by the glory of this ministry in the New Covenant. In the same way that the moon and the stars grow dim when the sun rises. The law in the Old Covenant and all of its glory has dimmed in, in, in comparison to the surpassing glory of the risen sun. I'm reminded of the words of John the Baptist he says, he must increase. I must decrease. That is the function of the law. To point us to Jesus Christ. Number one, the surpassing glory of this ministry. You might ask, but Paul, if your ministry is really so glorious as you say, why then? Are you living out of a backpack? Why are you being chased from town to town? Why are people trying to stone you and throw you into prison? Why are people rejecting this glorious ministry? Why are the Jews, Paul, your own kinsmen, your brothers, 
The people that you used to be best buddies with. The ones who have the law and have all the Word of God and have a previously standing relationship with God. Why on earth are they rejecting your message? If you're so glorious, Paul, you should be on TV by now. You should have a mega church by now. Look at you, Paul. You're so small. You're so tiny. You're so weak. And you want to talk about glory. People would be justified to say the same thing about us. Look at you, College Street Baptist Church. A lot of big talk about the glory of the gospel. From the outside looking in, I'm not seeing much glory. Look at you, so small, so tiny, so weak. Don't talk to me about glory. And here's Paul's response. Paul says, when people reject the ministry here, the problem is not the law. The law has not failed in its function. The problem is not Moses. The problem is the veil. Number two, the problem is the veil. Look at verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So here's what happened. Moses came down from Sinai. The people were blinded by the glory. They said, we can't look at you. And so every time from then on, Moses would go and speak to the Lord in the tent of meeting. When he came out, he would put a veil on his face so that the people couldn't see the glory shining off of it. Whenever he would come out, he would veil his face so the Israelites wouldn't see the glory anymore. And Paul says that this veil is a picture when God tried to show them His glory in the law, the people could not bear to look at it. And so Moses put a veil over his face. He said, we don't want to see it. Hide it from us, Moses. And so he did. But as that veil hid the glory radiating from Moses' face, it also masked from the people the purpose of the law that Moses was administering to them. Paul says that Moses veiled his face so that the Israelites might not see the outcome of the law. And that word outcome means its goal, its telos, its purpose, its fulfillment. What was its goal? Why had God given it? Verse 14. But their minds were hardened for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Paul says when people want to cling to the law and they want to continue to live under the old ministry, the ministry of Moses, he says it's not the law's fault. It's not Moses' fault. The problem is that there's a veil Week after week, people sit under the reading of the law and they think, yeah, I can keep that. I can do that. I can please God in this system. I can keep all of these laws. I'm an, I can do good enough to make God happy with me. And if that's how you feel this morning, 
whether you've been in church your whole life or whether you are a pagan who lives out in the world and thinks you can just kind of, you know, have good deeds outweigh the bad, Paul says there is a veil over your heart. The problem is the veil. The reason the Jews rejected Jesus was because they wanted a veil instead of glory. When Moses put that veil over his face, it hid from the people the truth. What, whose glory do you think it was that was radiating off the face of Moses? It's the glory of the Lord, which is found in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, the glory of the law is a borrowed glory in the same way that the moon's shine is borrowed from the sun. Only through Christ, Paul says, is the veil taken away. But when the veil is removed and we are able to look into the law and we're able to look into the face of Moses, what we see is not the glory of Moses. It's the glory of Jesus Christ reflecting from the face of Moses problem is not the law. It's not Moses. The problem is the veil. If you're here this morning and you're putting trust in the faith that I, I haven't killed anyone, you know, I haven't lied this week, I haven't stolen anything recently, and you think that somehow you're going to have eternal life through the law, Paul says you are so blind. The law brings death. The law brings condemnation. And that's the reason why the law is passing away is because it only had one purpose and it was to show us and to point us to Jesus Christ and to usher us to Him with hearts ready to receive Him when He should show up. To throw ourselves on the mercy of the Son of God who lived a perfect life under the law who died under the curse of death that we had earned in our place so that He might bring the power of the law to an end and bestow on those who believe a spirit that brings the dead back to life and shows us that at the cross we have eternal forgiveness once and for all. And to see that He offers us His own righteousness not through our earning it but simply as a gift to be received by faith, a righteousness that will not earn us condemnation, but welcome when we enter the presence of God. There's only one way to have this veil removed. Verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Turn to the Lord Jesus this morning. Turn to Him. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from your efforts to try to keep the law. Turn away from the blindness of your heart and convincing yourself you can somehow please God. You can't. Turn away from it. And look upon Jesus Christ. And when you do that, the Bible calls that repentance. When you turn away from your own efforts, and you turn away from your sin, and you turn to God, hoping against hope that He will extend to you mercy and grace, when you look upon the Lord, you will see 
Jesus Christ standing there, showing you his wounds, saying, I've already done everything necessary to forgive you and to make you righteous and to give you my spirit so that you can stand in the presence of God forever. Turn to the Lord. We see thirdly this morning that those of us who do behold his glory and we are transformed. Look at verse 17. Now, the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face Behold, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Do you want to have the glorious righteousness that you see in the law? Do you want to be holy? Do you want to fully obey the creator of the universe? Do you want to be fully pleasing to him in every way? Do you want to shine forth with the radiant glory of God? that you were designed to do as his image bearer? It doesn't come by trying harder at keeping the law, I can tell you that. It starts with repentance. It starts with turning away from ourselves and turning to God. It starts with admitting the truth about the law and seeing that veil begin to fall. The law's purpose was never for us to keep it on our own. The law existed for Jesus Christ to keep perfectly and then to give us a righteousness that far surpasses anything the law could give us. Just think about it for a second. The law says, do not kill. Jesus Christ says, lay down your life for your brothers. The law says, do not steal. Jesus says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. The law says, do not lie. Jesus says, go and make disciples. The law's best, in its best effort, all it can do is put a straitjacket on sinners. But it has no power to bring righteousness to life inside of us. The law has no power to bring alive in us an ability to keep what it requires. It simply handcuffs us. Paul says, when the Spirit comes, when the Lord comes, And he gives his spirit, there is freedom. And all of a sudden, as we look upon Jesus and we behold his glory, just like Moses, we begin to be changed from one degree of glory to another. As we despair of ourselves and we turn to Jesus, he himself becomes the source of the transformation that we so desire to see in our own lives. He gives us the Spirit. He gives us righteousness. He bestows on us a permanent status as sons and daughters of God. We who are lowly, we who are nothing, we who in ourselves are not sufficient as ministers of such a glorious new covenant are transformed from one glory to another into the image of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would each have the veil removed from our eyes so that when we look into the law, we would see the shining glory of Jesus Christ and our need for you. 
May we utterly despair of putting trust in ourselves. May we know, Lord Jesus, that we are beholding you because we feel your spirit changing who we are from the inside, giving us a desire and an ability to obey and to follow you, making us more like you every day. Dear God, we pray that we would go forth in boldness as ministers of this new covenant, not because of who we are, but because we have beheld your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.